conflict, cure, and change. And I think once scientists and engineers learn to start couching and crafting their data in that way, then their data means more to us because it really helps to become the cure. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. In this episode, you will hear a conversation with one of the best storytellers on the planet. That's not hyperbole. Craig Ballantyne won the World Championship of Public Speaking on the strength of his storytelling skills. Why does that matter to you? Because stories are your best tool for connecting your information with your audience's imagination. And Craig is about to show you how to do just that. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Oti, and on this program, it's a mix of content and conversations. And today, I'm excited to say we're going to have a conversation with one of my, uh, I will say, mentors in the speaking business. Someone I've known for a number of years. You'll hear just how many years in a moment. Uh, my guest today is Craig Valentine. Craig? David, it's great to be here. And you just reminded me how many years ago we met, and it, it's been quite a ride. So excited to be here. Looking forward to talking to you about storytelling and science. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you for making the time. Um, many of my audience members have heard me describe a little bit of my journey from a career in broadcast engineering to a second career in speaking and training. And I met you actually at sort of a critical juncture along that journey because I had gotten involved in Toastmasters at the urging of the person who hired me to be the subject matter expert on a training effort that went on actually for several years. And in those three years, we trained almost, we trained over 10,000 people in 900 locations. And in 2009, that project was pretty far along and I had joined Toastmasters. And after a couple of years in Toastmasters, I decided to try my hand at the International speech competition. And in 2009, I won my district and went to the fifth level of competition, which was in Winnipeg, Canada at the Region 4 convention. And I was so pleased with myself for making it that far along in the competition. And I heard that there was going to be a speaker there who had won the international speech contest. He was the world champion in public speaking in 1999, is that right? 99, 99, that's so right. So this was 10 years after that. Uh, I heard that this guy named Craig Valentine was going to be the featured speaker. And he was going to do a couple of things, including a storytelling workshop. And I thought to myself, well, I obviously know a thing or two about telling stories. I made it this far in the competition. This was before, of course, I knew I was going to take third and not advance any further. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, I'll go and hear what he has to say, maybe pick up a pointer or two. Oh, my gosh. I was just blown away. This was the first time I really got a glimpse of just how much more I needed to learn about storytelling as a speaker. I still remember you were talking about the nine C's of storytelling. And right. I've heard you talk about that and, and other elements of, of storytelling. I was just absolutely blown away. 
And I've been a big admirer of Craig's work ever since. So that is how we met. That was, what, almost 12 years ago now as I record this. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that's it's so interesting because you were in Toastmasters. I got my start really in Toastmasters as well. And there are a lot of people who think because I joined Toastmasters in March of 1998, got my CTM in March of 1999. That was competent Toastmaster. And then I won the world championship in August of 1999. A lot of people think that it, was, it was smooth sailing for me. Mm. Right. But they don't real, And they come up to me and they say things like, you don't even know what it feels like to lose a contest. And I say, yes, I do. Because, David, you know, there's also something called the humorous speech, speech contest. Yes. And I lost the humorous speech contest at the club level, the lowest possible level. Oh, <laughs> and I'll never forget. I'll never forget a seasoned Toastmaster, still a friend of mine named Alan Mish, came up to me afterwards. And he said, Craig, you can win the world championship of public speaking. And I said, what are you talking about? I just lost the humorous speech contest at the club level. He said, that's OK. He said, the only thing wrong with your humorous speech was that it wasn't funny. And we just started laughing and cracking up. But he <laughs> but the only he thing wrong with your humorous speech is it wasn't funny. <laughs> was no humor in it. And then he looked at me and he said, but if you can give that type of speech at the world championships in the international speech contest, you can go very far. So it was his prodding that let me say, OK, well, let me try my hand at this. And the very first time I got into the international speech contest, I won the world championship. And so after that, they put me on the road and I started teaching storytelling. And in 2009, ran into you and you were good. You were well, good. Well, so I don't want you. you to come, I don't want you to come thinking that uh, you weren't good. I, don't, I, I never want to be a demotivational speaker. Right? <laughs> demotivational. <laughs> but you were very good. And well, I remember you. that. And, and I'm I glad got we've better. been in touch ever since. I believe it. That's the main thing is I got better. I learned from yeah. people like you and, and Darren LaCroix, people I mentioned, uh, particularly in the in the preface of my, my first book, The Speaker's Quick Guide to Telling Better Stories. Uh, you're mentioned right in there in that story of how we met. Yeah. Um, because your, your speaking, your storytelling models have been so influential to me over the years. Now, I know that you've done a lot since you became the world champion of public speaking, and one of the things I saw is that you were given this thing called the Congressional Achievement Award. What is that? I didn't know what it was either, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> this was very, very early on. I think right after I won, there was a lady who was kind of auditioning to be a, a promoter for me or something like that, and she actually went out and... Congressman Elijah Cummings mm. is the person who gave me the the award, the Congressional Achievement Award for communications. And so I cherish that. That's something very important, not not only because it's it's an award, but who gave it to me yeah. uh, is a person that I admired. So I, I take that very seriously. I never knew that you can get an award for communications, but I'm glad I did. Well, congratulations on that. Congratulations. Um, since then, tell me a little bit about your journey as a speaker, what you speak on today and, and the audiences that keep you busy. Well, today I speak mostly on either leadership, communication or change, right? Leadership, communication and change. I would say over the last year, it's been a lot of healthcare organizations. You talk okay. about the storytelling model, mm -hmm. my storytelling model, for example, United Healthcare out of Minnesota they actually licensed my storytelling model and they're using it to tell this, their story and really? to tell the story of their values and so forth. And, and the leaders in 
United Healthcare are using it as well. And I went out there and spoke several different times. So I've been traveling the world. I've spoken in over 20 countries and I was supposed to go to a lot more, but of course I, everything got shut down. Yes. <laughs> so I've just been, I've been touching lives. My, my, it's never changed for me. You know, it's always been about touching lives. Even back when I was doing the contest, I don't know how it was for you, David, but every time I would win one of those contests, people would come up to me afterwards and they'd give me awards and rewards and so forth. But there would always be somebody who would say something like, good job. You going to win the next one? Are you going to win the next one? And even back in 1999, I would always say to them, I don't know. I just want to touch lives. Mm -hmm. I just want to touch lives. And David, the funny thing is every time I reached out my hand to touch a life, somebody put a trophy in it. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the key. I never reached for the trophy. I always reached for the life. Yeah. And that's what I ask people now when they're getting into presenting. Are you up there for yourself or what are you reaching for? You know, because because you, you have to be there for your audience or your audience will see right through you. Oh, you so I've do. been there for the audience for my last 22 years and I'm continue doing that, whether it's on stage or online. You know, one of the things that I often advise people I'm speaking to or coaching is um, you can't just be up there on that stage to serve up information. You've got to be there to serve your audience. Absolutely. And if you have information, you have to turn it into a story because stories are what gets get remembered. That's you right. want to speak to be remembered, repeated, and today retweeted. Right? <laughs> retweeted. Remembered, repeated, retweeted, reposted. And I always tell people, when you get the buzz, you get the biz, right? And that's the way you're going to get the buzz. You're going to have to get those sound bites out there. You want to tell a story. You want to make a point. You know that we want to have some kind of a foundational phrase that people can remember and repeat. Like, for an example, I have the trophy right here. If you have been walking towards me in the Chicago airport two days after I won the world championship of public speaking, you would have seen my wife on one side of me and me carrying this gigantic crystal trophy, right? Just walking through the Chicago airport. And, of course, everybody's looking at me like, wow, who is that? And, David, I thought I heard somebody say, is that is that Denzel Washington over there? But <laughs> Hey, man, you don't have to laugh that hard. <laughs> but, but, but this is when I realized my life would never be the same. This petite lady in a pink dress runs up to me in the middle of the airport and everybody's watching. And she just starts reading the bottom of my trophy. And she says, mm, 1999 world champion of public speaking. Wow. Say some things. And I was speechless. And that's when I realized (laughs) no matter where I go in life, people are going to say, would you mind saying something? So I came to a fundamental understanding about myself as a presenter, about you as a presenter, about all the technical presenters who ever make presentations. I can no longer get ready to speak. I have to stay ready to speak. So my motto is don't get ready, stay ready. And David, I'm telling you, the absolute best way to stay ready to speak is to have your collection of stories. Have your collection of stories. And if you have data that tells a story, have your collection of stories. I was told very early on in my career by the great David Brooks. He said, Craig, you can say 1,000 people have died from this disease, and it won't make the impact of you telling the story about little Amy who died of this disease. So we want to make sure that we are story based because that's what gets remembered and repeated. Now, the foundational phrase of my story that I just told, don't get ready, stay ready. 
Mm-hmm. And David, that's what people are going to remember, what they're going to repeat, what they're going to retweet. And they're going to retweet it incorrectly many times. <laughs> sure. I'm going to say, I didn't say that. But at least they are attempting to get the message out there. And I think that's the way you can you can really be remembered. Tell a story, make a point, foundational phrase and make it fewer than 10 words, because that's what makes it easy for people to repeat. It makes it clear for them too. And you have got such a talent for that because I've heard you use so many of those phrases. Just a few minutes ago, you said, if you get the buzz, you get the biz. I think in phrases. I've trained myself to think in phrases and, and, and I'm guided by them because I think it gives them cheat codes, right? It gives people cheat codes. When you get to that next fork in the road and you say to yourself, you know what? I, I should have followed Craig's advice and stayed ready to speak. I'm going to start getting my collection of stories so I can speak on a moment's notice. And I I think that's what it does for people. It gives them a cheat code. There's a story that I tell that you probably remember where the foundational phrase is your dream is not for sale, Mm -hmm. right? Your dream is not for sale. I can't tell you how many people have contacted me over the years and they've said things like, Craig, I was wondering if I should go after my dream or stay in this organization where I was. And your wife's words came into my mind. Your dream is not for sale. And I, and I went for it. So, David, I'm responsible for a lot of people being unemployed. (laughs) (laughs) But at least they're chasing the dream. What's better than that? (laughs) And one of the things I love when I hear you tell that story is you put that line in your wife's mouth. That's right. That's right. And I think that's important. Patricia Fripp taught me something very important before she charged me. (laughs) (laughs) She said, Craig, give your other characters the best lines. And so that story is a story that I tell. And with all the things my wife told me as I was trying to make that decision of whether to stay with this company that was keeping, they kept giving me raise after raise after raise, all the things she told me, I took the most important thing that she said to me. And, and that was your dream is not for sale. And I just condensed everything else she said mm-hmm. to me into that line. And that's what people remember. And that's what people retweet and repeat. I remember being in... Mysore, India, on the Infosys campus. And I told that story. And the next day I woke up and there was a newspaper slid under my door. And I picked it up and it had a big picture of me on the front cover. And the headline read, your dream is definitely not for sale. And I said, that's that's it. It gets repeated, it gets reposted, and and it gets remembered. And that led me to a a speech in Tokyo. That that speech in India led me to a speech in Tokyo, and they wanted to hear the same message. It's a powerful message. Mm -hmm. It truly is. And that's interesting that you find it um, a message people want to hear across different cultures. It really is. It really is. You know what what that tells me? No matter where you are, in what country, everybody has a dream. Yeah. Everybody has a dream. Yeah, that's true. And, and, and my dream is that <clears throat> the work that I do will make a difference to people as well, helping them become more effective telling the story of their work. I, I, I do tell my audiences sometimes that um, I get some skepticism from scientists when it comes to story. Right. Because uh, scientists know that the, the plural of anecdote is not evidence. <laughs> uh, and, and they don't trust stories. But the thing I have to remind people is, you know, when you're a scientist, you're trained to find the story in your data. But if you want that data to change the world, you have to be able to share that story with other people as well. And Such so an of, important message. Such an important message. Not, not only do they have to find the story, but they have to be able to share it. 
and they have to be able to share it in a in an effective way. One of the best motivational speakers in the world is Les Brown. Oh, yeah. And I got a call from Les Brown about eight months ago. And David, I did the unthinkable. I neglected to call him back. Oh, no. I was so busy doing things. And about a week later, I looked up and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to call Les back. So now I'm nervous, right? Because It's Mm -hmm. been a week. So I called him and he immediately answered the phone and he said, Craig Valentine, I've been walking around outside all day today. And I ran into about 15 people and they were all crying. And I asked them, I said, why are you crying? And they said, because we can't believe that Craig Valentine would treat you the way that he does. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how we opened the conversation. And he broke down with a story. He broke down any barrier, anything that could have been between us. But it was also at that point, David, that I realized that the reason why he's so remembered and revered and so forth is because everything that happens to him, he's going to turn into a story. And not only a story, but a good story, one that makes you laugh, one that makes you think, one that teases him before it tells him, one that makes you curious, and one that usually has a point. And so I think scientists can take something from that and say, what all the evidence I'm looking at, all the stats I'm looking at, I should be looking at it in a way that, that, that allows me to tell the story. Mm-hmm. What does all this mean? Yeah. Right. And then the other thing they're going to have to be able to do, and this is something that scientists fight with me about all the time. <laughs> they have to realize they're also in sales. Oh yeah. They're also in sales. And whether you're in leadership, you're in parenting, you're you're presenting technical information, you're in sales. And sometimes technical people will say to me, I don't sell anything. I'm just setting I'm just presenting the facts. I said, well, let me ask you something. Do you want your audience to hear what you say next? They say, yeah. I said, well, you got to sell them on that. Right. You got to sell them on sticking around to, to hear what comes next. And the, and the, the sad part is you really only need to master one formula. And it's this, never sell a product, always sell the results. Never sell a service, always sell the results. Never sell an, in leadership, never sell an idea, always sell the results. In leadership, never never sell change, always sell the result. In technical information, never sell the stats, always sell the results. If you're going for an interview, which is very important, never sell yourself. Well, you know, I have 15 years of, nobody cares. Always sell the results. And David, here's the case in point. Decades ago, because I just turned 50 the other day, That's decades right. ago, <laughs> I, I went to first car ever in life. And the salesperson came up to me and he said, are you looking at that car? I said, yes, sir. He said, good. Let me tell you about it. This car has these types of brakes, this type of motor, this type of engine. Mm-hmm. He's trying to sell me the car. Right. So I said, thank you, but no, thank you. I went to a different dealership on the same day, different salesperson, same car. And David, I, I got to be honest, this guy must have anticipated where I was mentally at that point in my life, you know, young and single and, and looking to mingle. <laughs> and so he, so he walks up to me, and says, are you looking at that car? I said, yes, sir. He said, mm, mm, mm. you're going to look good in that one. Oh, yeah. You're going to be flying down the road. The wind's going to be blowing through your hair. And the girls, let me tell you, the girls will be all over you. David, what do you think I did? <laughs> signed. <laughs> said, Where do I sign? And he made the sale not because he sold me the car, but he sold me the, the results. results. And the he results. lied. He lied. <laughs> <laughs> I was low. I was lonely in that car, David. I always tell people just, just me and my payment. <laughs> I was lonely. But I tell people all the time, you know, don't. That's what you want to do. Make sure you never sell the product. 
service, the idea, the change, yourself, always sell the result. What's in it for them? So when it comes to technical presentations, what's in it for them to 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 know that story? What's in it for them to heed that science? What's in it for them to understand that fact? Like I remember years ago, somebody told me, and I don't know if this is true or not, but somebody told me we're going to spend between 500 and 1,000 hours per year of our life in an automobile. Okay, how do you interpret that? What's the story behind that? Well, then they said to me, that means you're going to spend approximately seven to 10 years of your life in an automobile if you live to be of a certain age. Okay, well, how can I make that applicable? What are you doing with that time? You could get two master's degrees in seven to 10 years. What are you doing with that time? Can you turn your car into a rolling university and listen to? So there's a way to tell that story and break those stats down to make it apply to me. Mm. And then I can get the result out of it that I need. And get the result. Get the result. Wow. I tell you what, let's do this. Um, I'm going to take a short break. Okay. When we come back, I'd like to hear, you know, you're, you're the nuts and bolts guy, right? Um, I am. And so perhaps you could give my listeners the, the nuts and bolts of the most basic story model that they need in order to make that connection with their audience and tell the story of their data. Okay, can we go there next? Sounds good. Okay. I'm David Odie. This is The Power of Story and Science. My guest today is Craig Valentine, and we'll be back in just a minute. You are a knowledgeable expert, and you want your expertise to make a difference to your audience, but you can't see them and gauge their reactions. Therefore, you need new tools for engaging that unseen audience. Hi, I'm David Odie, offering you a way to pick up those tools. In my new self-paced online course, you will discover three ways to improve your story, one fascinating tool for hooking your audience's attention, and eight details in your physical environment that will set you apart from other virtual presenters. Today's technical presentations are going virtual, and that means you can reach a wider audience as long as you understand how to serve that audience. So join me for the online course, Own the Virtual Stage. Confidently connect with an unseen audience. Just go to ownthevirtualstage.com for details. And we're back. This is The Power of Story and Science. I'm David Odie, and my guest today is Craig Valentine, and we're talking about stories. And we're talking about always selling the result, not selling your data, not selling yourself, always selling the result, and making it memorable. So, Craig, my question for you is this. Is there one particular story model that in the time we have left you could leave with my audience today something will help them sell the results of the story they hear in their data yeah i think in order to do that we'd need to kind of have a reference story so i'll just give a quick reference story and then give three points that they can use in terms of a model that they can follow and we and we've already touched on this story but act like you're hearing it for the first time. I, I, I usually start it with this. What, David, what do you think, in your opinion, is the number one thing that stands between most people living their dreams? What do you think that is? In my case, it's myself. <laughs> Yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah. And a lot of people, it's fear and it's change and so forth. But the number one thing is not what you think. See, I used to work for an internet company and I wanted to go full time into professional speaking. That was my goal. That was my dream. I always ask people, raise your hand if you have a goal or raise your hand if you want to do anything in life. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Me too. So I went to the vice president of this company. He was a young guy, good looking guy. He looked like a young uh, David Beckham. And I said to him, I said, look, John, I'm going to be leaving because it's always been my dream to be a full-time professional speaker. He said, that's your dream, Craig? I said, yes, it is. He said, well, that's great. I really admire you for having one, but you can't leave. I said, hold on now. What do you mean I can't leave? He said, well, Craig, we've been thinking about it, and we're going to raise your salary up to this. Now, David, salary means the same thing where you are, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) It sure does. (laughs) You see my dilemma. I said, John, this is not a financial decision. This is about my dream. In fact, I'd call this a dream decision. He said, okay, I understand. I really do. But how about if we raise your salary up to this? I said, this is not a financial decision. This is a dream decision. Do you know he raised it four times? Wow. Yeah. I kid you not. He kept saying, we're going to raise your salary to this. I said, this is not a financial decision. This is a dream decision. He said, okay, Craig, how about if we raise your salary to well above six figures? I said, dreams are overrated. (laughs) come on now six figures back then that's good money today yeah i said but john before i say yes to you i gotta go home and talk to my wife so i went home to my wife i said honey i don't know what to do what do you think i should do what should i do and my wife looked up at me with her big brown eyes and said take the money fool (laughs) (laughs) but if you've been sitting beside my wife and me just a few moments later on our old beat up black leather sofa with the, the chocolate chip cookies baking in the background You would have heard her say something that can absolutely change your life. And I know it because it changed mine. She said, Craig, this is all you've ever wanted. Ever since we met, this is all you've ever talked about. I don't care how much they try to compensate you. Your dream is not for sale. Your dream is not. That's deep, isn't it? Mm, Yeah. Because most people think the number one thing that stands between them and their dreams is some kind of bad obstacle. Lack of time, lack of energy, lack of... No, Mm. the number one thing that stands between most people living their dreams is not something bad, David. It's something good that we settle for, Mm. right? A a good job, a good relationship, a good life. Did you realize that sometimes the enemy of the best is the good? Yeah. So let me ask you something. When it comes to you doing what you do, and and when it comes to the the, the scientists and, and the engineers doing what you do, are you too good to be great? Mm. All right. I looked at my wife. I said, see, girl, that's why I married you. My dream is not for sale. That's what you said. Right. And I walked back in there the next day. I looked at vice president in his eyes and I was firm. I looked him directly in his face and I was bold. And I said to him, uh, my wife said my dream is not for sale. <laughs> <laughs> and David, I left. And that very year, I spoke over 160 times in 44 states and five countries. And I'm happy to say I've been running my mouth ever since. (laughs) But but what I tell people all the time is there's nothing special about me. There's something very special about the advice my wife gave me. Your dream is not for sale. Remember the words of my wife. Don't let the good get in the way of the best. And no matter what you're going through with all the stuff that's going on in the world today, your dream is not for sale. Now, we stop right there. We told a story. We made a point. Foundational phrase. Fewer than 10 words. What's the phrase? Your dream is not for sale. But let's look at the model really quickly. I'm just going to go through three things in the model. Conflict, cure, and change. Mm. Conflict, cure, and change. So the conflict of that story happened when the gentleman said, you can't leave. The sooner you can establish a conflict with your data, with your 
situation. The sooner you can establish the conflict, the sooner you have your audience hooked in because conflict is the hook. Mm-hmm. Why? Because, David, people want to know how you're going to overcome the conflict. What right. tools do you use? What what system, what recipe, what formula? So the sooner you can establish the conflict, the better off you're going to be and the sooner you're going to hook your audience in. My conflict was when he said you can't leave. Now, that's not enough. You then need to find a way to escalate the conflict. Mm-hmm. Think about the Think about the Titanic. Mm. The conflict was when the Titanic hit the iceberg. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But how did it get worse when the water started to rise on the Titanic? Right. I'm telling you right now, David, if the water never rose on the Titanic, that would have been a terrible movie. <laughs> OK, <laughs> <That's the truth>. <laughs> <laughs> so how did I raise the water on the Titanic in my story? How did I escalate the conflict? You can't just establish it. You have to escalate it. How did I do it? The guy kept offering me more and more money, offering me more and more money. I got frustrated, flattered, frustrated, flattered until something had to give. And that's where you go into the cure. And when you're a scientist, when you're a technical presenter, what's the cure? Okay. So the cure scene, two things happen. Number one, you get a recipe, a formula, a toolkit, something that helps you overcome the conflict or a change in perspective or some data. Mm-hmm. Right. That mm-hmm. gives you some enlightenment on, oh, this is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. And the fact, second thing that usually is in a cure scene is there's what I call a guru. And the guru is the person, place or thing that gives you the cure. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing about the guru. It can be a lot of things. It could be a book. It can be data. It can be science. It can be a person. The one thing it shouldn't be is you. Right. You shouldn't be the guru of your own story because you always want to remain similar rather than special to your audience. So who was the guru to my story? My wife. Yeah. What was the cure she gave me? A change in perspective. Craig, you're letting the good get in the way of the best. Don't do that. Your dream is not for sale. So a lot of times when it comes to technical presenters, the data is going to show what the cure is and Mm -hmm. what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. But you need to set it up in a way where here's the conflict first. Then we get this data and now we have a breakthrough. And then we go to the change and the change is what happens as a result of the cure. So what happened to me as a result of the cure? I went out and spoke 160 times, 44 states, five countries, and I'm happy, emotionally happy to say I've been running my mouth ever since. Okay. So what are we going to do differently after we get that data and that breakthrough and that enlightenment? Mm -hmm. What, what's the change going to be? Yeah. And if you can't tell it because it hasn't happened yet, give us what the hypothetical situation is. Right. Here's what situation we're in now. If we get the data that reveals this, the cure, then we can show what the change will be. Now all we got to do is sell the result. Sell the result. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, some of the cure and change, David. cure and change. And I think people tend to, people who are not accustomed to approaching information from a story standpoint often shy away from conflict. And so sometimes the word I, I'll use is a striving. What, mm. were you, what were you striving for? What was the, the, the problem, the challenge that you saw that made you want to go and do this research, conduct these experiments, make these observations? That's so often you don't get that in a scientific report. You get, here's our data, right. and, and they're effectively starting with the cure. But Th- without exactly conflict... Right. You don't have that that story arc. Well, David, why why would I need a cure if nothing's wrong? You know <laughs> exactly. that that's a, why would I need a cure if there's nothing wrong? So, I worked. I did three presentations a few months ago for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation out here, 
And it was to scientists and engineers and and people who are trying to keep the Chesapeake Bay clean. Mm -hmm. So instead of just giving stats, I had them go through putting it in a story format. What's the issue? What's the problem? Mm -hmm. Oh, you have the pollutant runoff that that runs into the sewers and and gets and, and contaminates the water. Oh, okay. Tell me more about that. What does it do as a result of contaminating the water? Oh, it makes the 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 animals sick. Oh, and who eats the animals? Oh, so it's making the people sick too? Oh, and the people can't even swim in the water anymore because it's so contaminated. So we're setting up that problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, okay, now people are hungry for a cure. Okay, and then here, what's the cure? Oh, I can do this in my own yard to help prevent the pollutant from running off into the sewer and messing up the Chesapeake. Wow, I can do that. Now that I know there's a problem, I can be part of the cure. What can happen as a result of the change? Oh, the water is much clearer now. You can fish in it. You can actually eat out of it. You can actually. (laughs) And I had people and I had scientists and they came on and actually I had one scientist come on and show me what the water looked like before, Mm. what the cure was and what the water looked like afterwards with people fishing and swimming and it's just a perfect, perfect visual representation of conflict, cure and change. If you set it up where you where there's a conflict or, as you say, something they're striving for, then we need a cure. Yeah. Right. We need a cure. I don't don't try to give me medicine if I'm not sick. <laughs> that's, that's well put. Well put. So conflict, cure and change. And I think once scientists and engineers learn to start couching and crafting their data in that way, then their data means more to us because it really helps to become the cure Yeah, and tells the story. Tells the story, makes the data mean more to us. Exactly right. Conflict, cure, and change. Yeah. Now, you know, I have nine C's, but I just I, gave you I know. three of them. You gave me, gave me three of them. Because that's, a, that's a great place to start is with three that we can remember because I think that's with three. The, yeah. That's what really sets up the arc. It, it is. That yeah. is the arc. Mm-hmm. That is the arc. Now I can talk about characters and things like that, but those are the three that are the, that are the meatiest. Yeah. And the reason, and this is a good point also when it comes to presenting, and this is very important for engineers, for scientists, for any technical presenter, because a lot of times we want to squeeze our information in. And I always tell people when there's an old speaker proverb, when you squeeze your information in, you squeeze your audience it's out. out. Mm-hmm. But if you tell a story, you're not squeezing your information in, you're, you're giving it in an entertaining way, in a way that since we were kids, when we said, mom, dad, tell me a story, we, we've been taught to receive information, right? But the reason I only gave three rather than nine of my C's is because of that very reason. When you squeeze your information in, you squeeze your audience out. So a lot of times, especially when it comes to technical presentations, less is more. Oh, yes, absolutely. Less I mean, is I've heard more. so many scientific presentations where... Uh, you know, people are given a time limit, so they think they need to talk faster, and they try to cram in more words and oh more words. Gosh. Oh my gosh! Yeah. It's just, and you can't listen to it. You can't. I, I was coaching a CEO and a CFO of a biotech company who was looking to to get funding, and they when they first called me, they said, "Craig, we already have our presentation. We just need to know what we're going to say." <laughs> <laughs> and David, I understood. What I understood was they had their slides. Their slides. That's right. And they want to know what they're going to say in between them. I said, "Well, let me tell you something." If I come work with you, we're going to work from the message first, and then we're going to determine what kind of slides you need That's right. to reinforce it. Do you know we went from like 89 slides to 17? That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> or a 25-minute presentation. And they went out sure. and gave their presentation, and the CEO 
next time I came in said, you know, we, we raised $17 million from that presentation. That's going to keep our lights on for a while. And they put me on retainer for three years. So they learned to tell the story of what they were trying to do. They, they learned to, to give the message before they put the slide presentation together. And lo and behold, it, it, it worked. It worked. Wow. That, that's quite a testimonial. It worked. For yeah, them. It, it, it really is. It really wow. is. And I enjoyed working with them. And I've enjoyed this conversation with you, and I feel like I need to honor the clock here and, and wrap this up. Uh, we, we could talk much longer. I know we could. We have so much more to talk about. Um, but let's go ahead and wrap this up. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is just tell my audience, um, what is one thing they should know about your services or how to follow up with you or getting something of lasting value that they can take with them? Sure. I always tell I always ask people whenever I'm in front of them, I say, raise your hand if a year from now you'd like to be at least three times better than the presenter you are today. And all hands go up. I say, great. Then for absolutely free, for no fee, you can go to one of my websites, which is 52speakingtips.com. That's 52speakingtips.com. And every week for a year, you're going to get an audio lesson from me. And by the end of that year, you will be at least three times better than the speaker you are today. By the way, that's selling the results. <laughs> it is, isn't it? That's right. So not, feel free to not go to selling them on getting all those messages from you, but selling them yeah. on the results. Notice I didn't say, raise your hand if you'd like to receive 52 emails from me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's about getting three times better, and you will get that as you go to through 52speakingtips.com. So, David, I've enjoyed this. It's been a pleasure just chatting with you because we haven't really chatted for a few years. No, we haven't. It's been great. And if anyone would like to follow up with me, if you have questions or comments for me or suggestions for future interview guests, just go to storyandscience.com. Storyandscience.com will take you to the homepage of this program, and from there you can reach out to me as well. I'm David Odie, and I am so glad you are part of the Story and Science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, Subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening.